Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey folks, stand by for our big interview today. But first, successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing two, ten, or hundreds of millions in sales, NetSuite by Oracle gives a full picture of your business. Finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. From work, from home, anytime, anywhere, NetSuite, the number one cloud business system. Right now, get your product tour and free guide, Six Ways to Run a More Profitable Business, at netsuite.com slash voices. That's netsuite.com slash voices. And now, let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, March 25, 2020. And this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Today, I thought we'd take a break from the relentless stress and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic, the financial crisis, and as always, the Trump crisis. By rewinding exactly six months to one of my favorite interviews of 2019. I'm talking about my chat with Robbie Rist, TV's cousin Oliver from The Brady Bunch. I spoke with Robbie on the 50th anniversary of The Brady Bunch, and man, oh man, he was so damn funny and entertaining. I just had to share this one again. Meanwhile, please join me and my friends over on our Patreon page at bobseskashow.com, where you can support this podcast for as little as $1 a month. Thanks in advance, and now here comes the one and only Robbie Rist. You can hear the music from a 26 miles away. I just got to tell you, like millions of other Americans, this isn't breaking news or anything like that. I am a gigantic Brady Bunch fan, so let's get this out of the way right here at the top. <laughs> the Brady Bunch had already been canceled, and season five already written by the time you were cast on the show, right? Well, I I don't I don't know if it was canceled. Before, I think the the deal was, I think the producers kind of wanted it to be their last season. Oh, I see. Okay. And, and the network, they're like, hey, it's top 10 show. We're doing good. Why don't we go out on top? And the, and the uh, network said, uh, we've got an even better idea. Why don't we do the add a kid thing? Yeah. And the producers went, and why don't we just go out on top? And then that work sort of got a little more stern and they went, how about a young kid? Mm-hmm. And they went, how about we get out now? And the network went, how about a kid? <laughs> and they went, kid it is. All right. <laughs> God. So, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean- and so they, you know, and so like, you know, it, it 
they, they had no intention of it going past that last year. To me, but, along those lines, it's an injustice that some uh, blame you for bringing about the end of that series. I mean, that's a myth, obviously. I mean, what are you talking about? That's you know that thing where they say you know if you have the opportunity to to print the truth or print the legend, print the legend. <laughs> well, this is exactly. I'll take it. Yeah. I will take it that somewhere out there is a person who believes that a nine-year-old kid has the power to bring down a television dynasty. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. At the time, though, I mean, did that myth get back to you at some point? I mean, how did you, you digest that as a kid? Because your attitude now, super-duper healthy and, of course, spot on, right? But, I mean, at, when you were a kid, uh, soon after, I assume, or once uh, the Brady Bunch got rolling in syndication— you, it, it, did it get back to you? I mean, were you crushed by that, or did well, you just I, embrace I it? Already, I was already on to other things. So, you know, right after Brady Bunch, like the year after, I ended up on Lucas Tanner. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and even in the meantime, I, you know, it's like I worked with Robert Reed way more after the Brady Bunch than I did when I was on the show. Wow. We did a, we, there used to be a show called Lucan that was uh, about, uh, a young man played by Kevin Brophy, uh, who was raised by wolves, and now he's living out among us. You know, it's one of these shows. Amazing. And, uh, and uh, so, uh, like, I was a guest on it, and Robert Reed plays my dad. And then, cut to 1980, uh, he and I are both in Battlestar Galactica 1980 together. Incredible. So I was... Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty great. So, uh, so the, I was on to other things, and... Uh, and and so didn't really think about it. I mean, it it all kind of started really after the show went into syndication mm-hmm, right. because it was on seven o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon, seven p.m. at night, which is before school, after school, and after dinner. Perfection. Yeah. And that means kids that were you know raising themselves on television. You know, parents were like, "Oh, get them out of that," you know, out of the way. Um, so some of these people saw these shows. Five, six, seven, eight, tw- 20, 30 times. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> yep. Hello, right and, here. <laughs> uh, me, right, me too. And, and, right, and, and because of that, a couple of things came out of it. A familiarity, first off, mm-hmm. you know, with the – a familiarity with, with all of this material. And through that familiarity, you know, it's how fan fiction starts getting written. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You like the thing so much, then you've seen the shows so much that you start – kind of coming up with your own stories, even if some of them are, you know, probably lascivious, but, yeah, yeah. um, <laughs> but that's the thing is all of a sudden <laughs> now cousin Oliver killed the show. Uh, it becomes a kitschy thing. Mm. Like when the weird, you see when Bill Murray in 1978 looks at the camera and goes, star Wars, those near and far wars. When he does that, <laughs> yeah. he ushers in the era of irony. Mm-hmm. which before Bill Murray, it was very unironic out there. There was sarcasm. There were, you know, like if you think National Lampoon wasn't really that popular. Back oh yeah. Then, yeah. And the Brady, the, though, the Brady bunch was an irony free zone. There is nothing even closely resembling irony on the Brady bunch too. Right? Exactly. It's guileless. Yeah. And, and the thing is people started attaching their own sort of, their own sort of spin to it. So mm-hmm. now it's this, kitschy thing that's spun off all of these things and you know there's all kinds there you know there's Brady fan fiction out there you know Mm -hmm. it's all crazy 
<laughs> well, you know, my favorite Oliver episode is where uh, you and Bobby chased out, or your character and Bobby chased out a conspiracy theory involving the FBI and and Robert Reed's character, Mike Brady. It's like, to me, when I look back at that episode, uh, it's like the very first edition of the Alex Jones show. It's like baby Alex Jones <laughs> <laughs> discovering some crazy conspiracy theory, or maybe it was a reference to, you know, the JFK conspiracy theories floating around. Bobby, all the time. Bobby Brady was the original conspiracy theorist. That's exactly right. Oh my right. gosh, we've added something new to the canon. <laughs> You're right, but you were the enabler. I mean, Cousin Oliver was prodding him along the entire time. I mean, do, do you have a particular episode that uh, you feel really, really good about looking back? And it was just six episodes. Well, what, but- I, what I Actually, that episode in particular has the first instance of me improvising. Wow. Uh, and the thing is, at the time, nobody knew it. Uh, I mean, I didn't point it out to anyone for until decades afterward. But like at the end, Alan Melvin goes, uh, "Boy, this is one spy who's he came in from the cold, right?" The last yeah. the black line of the. Well, if you look down at me, you could see this look on my face and my lips barely moving. I go, "Came in from the cold," because. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because I had no idea what that reference was. Uh-huh. Because you know, the spy who came in from the cold was, I think, a book. Right, right. Yeah, it, and it you was know, Soviet era. It was a Soviet era spy novel or something. But I had no idea of that at the time. So I was like. Well, he's making a joke. Now, well, see what I do with this. Yeah, right, right. But I mean, here's the thing, Robbie. I mean, you were the best actor of all the kids on that show, hands down. I mean, no doubt. That's in, very in flattering. Anyone's mind. You probably only say that because you have me on the air. <laughs> well, no, it's it's 100% true. I mean that with the greatest sincerity. And I wonder if one of the reasons why you did so many additional shows with Robert Reed, who is, of course, Shakespearean trained, is if he recognized the same thing in you as what I just said that you really did have legitimate acting chops and still do. Uh, do you think that maybe that was the reason why um, not only you continued well, to work steadily, but I mean, work getting to work with Robert Reed additional bunch of times must have been uh, reflective of that talent that you had. Well I, don't, I, well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I was, I was getting them. Yeah. I was picking the jobs up. So maybe you're right. I don't know. That's very flattering, but I don't know if I can, you know, I don't know if I can possibly look at it that way ever, you know, without mm. making my head explode. <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's no doubt that, I mean, I must've been doing something right. I don't think it's because I was merely cute mm-hmm. uh, because there were a crap ton of really cute kids on television back then. Oh, and yeah. if you think about how many of them, let alone how many of them are, are, are still out there and, and working, but how many are, is anyone even talking about anymore? Mm-hmm. Right, right. There were all kinds of, you know, no one's, and, and if you ask me, I'm about to talk, to talk about someone who was a way better actor than me. There was a young girl back then named Lisa Gerritsen. And mm-hmm. Lisa Gerritsen was the daughter of Cloris Leachman on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh, wow. And if you look at her picture, you're going to go, oh, my God, she was in that and that and that and that. She, Lisa Gerritsen was unbelievable. Aside from that, can I do a huge crush on her? But aside from that, <laughs> she, uh, she, she was massively talented. And right now, Lisa Gerritsen is not on your show. I am. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really flattered by 
all of the attention and mostly I walk away from it going, I can't believe how lucky I am because there's so many people do this for a living. You know, they Mm -hmm. try to anyway. And you know, I've been doing this since I was six. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 55 now. Hmm. So I'm entering my 50th decade as a performer. Right. And to me, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wonder because yeah, you know, it's a good thing this worked out because I'm really not capable of doing anything else. <laughs> I know how you feel. I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. If somebody, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. Before he died, I told my dad, I'm like, no, no, dad, you don't understand. This is plan B. <laughs> I mean, were you formally trained? I mean, did you go through like the Meisner technique or study improv or anything like that? Over the years, I've done stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, I've done stuff to kind of bolster up, you know, just sort of the, the natural blah, blah, blah ability part. But, um, I, you know, there was some, there was not much, there was a cold reading. Mostly I learned, I did it the Martha Plimpton way. You know, we, mm-hmm. we kind of learned at work. Wow. And, and, and you learn amazing things. You know, uh, there's a lot of kid actors out there who sort of bemoan their time that they spent doing it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I'm not saying that, my experience in the entertainment business has been completely pleasant all the way through. But I also say I wouldn't trade it for anything. I learned amazing things and, and met astonishing people, uh, talented people from every part of the, uh, of, of the filmmaking process. You can imagine from, from cinematographers to set designers to, you know, I mean, I, I worked on, I worked on Battlestar Galactica in 1980, the crappy one. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I got to do that. Whole, like, first off, they had destroyed all the sets from the original show because they thought it wasn't coming back. Yeah. So they had to rebuild everything super fast. And I remember being in the Viper Bay set and being awed by, you know, this is before CG. Yeah. Uh, there's just cardboard outlines of ships that, that go down like, you know, seven or eight deep. And because the, the lens never really picks it up, it all looks like it's real. Mm-hmm, right. And those sort of like some things about art that I've learned doing this and, you know, how to, I mean, the great stories and people like, I don't know if you, okay, there was a dude, he's dead now. Mm-hmm. There's Bob Ridgely. Bob Ridgely was the hangman in blazing saddles. Oh yeah. Among right, right. I know exactly who you're talking about. The Colonel in Boogie Nights. Yes, exactly. Wonderfully talented guy died right after they made Boogie Nights. Incredible role as the Colonel. Yeah. Right. Hilarious. Now this guy, the Colonel minus the prison part and the, you know, sleeping with underage girls. (laughs) stuff. There's that that. swaggery. That sort of swaggery kind of guy is Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and, and he had the dirtiest mind of anyone I had ever met in my, my life, as well as not having any sort of internal filter. So work was always, uh-oh, you know, it was just so, anyway, yeah. yeah. I really love my experience in entertainment. Yeah, yeah. And as I said, you continuously worked, I think, throughout your career. Uh, You know, one of the questions I have, I mean, just a couple of other Brady questions for you real quick, because I really want to dig into your career post-Brady. But why do you think they never brought you back for one of the myriad specials or one of those spoof movies from the 90s? I mean... uh, Well, I I think exactly what I was talking about. It's not... 
I don't think uh, the you know Lloyd and, and his dad really thought of the Oliver character as being a part of it. I think <laughs> I actually think this late in the game. I think the entire the entire Brady organization it looks at me sort of like, oh God, it's sort of like the, it's sort of like the show where yeah. it's like, oh God, is he coming along again? Oh. I mean, I, I really that's awful. I, I mean, it's, and not in any sort of negative way. They just, I don't think they consider, you know, they don't really consider the character part of the show necessarily. Hmm. And I understand why it was six episodes, whatever. Yeah, but I mean, you were still part of the canon of the family, and you know, at least as a walk-on, for God's sake, it would seem like that would be a no-brainer to me. But they obviously decided that they were well. They uh, they asked me they asked me to be a part of the HGTV show. Right. Um, right. Uh, and uh, and and basically they wanted me to do the show, but they didn't want to pay me for it. Unbelievable! So, Is that, wow, yeah. I mean, they're notoriously cheap over there. I know that. I've pitched to HGTV before. No, no, no. If you get if you get Eve Plum out of retirement, there's a lot of money on the table. Oh, okay, right, yeah. And they spent a ton yeah. of money. They spent a ton of money buying that house, and they're adding additions to it and everything. So oh, they're yeah. they definitely have the money. Mm-hmm. Boy, did they. Yeah, and so they tried to get you, but then they said, we're not going to pay you, <laughs> I guess, because all the right. money is going to Eve Plum, right? Is that the, uh, is right. that the calculus? I guess so. Eve got all my money. Yeah. <laughs> right, and, and you know, you wrote uh, on your Facebook page yesterday that Barry Williams, Greg Brady on the show, hates you for some reason, and, and you're kind of confounded by that, aren't you? Like, wh- why do you I, I think Barry I, Williams I isn't into I don't really- Hello? Robbie Risk got cut off there. <laughs> I think it was Barry Williams tapping the phones. I'm going to try to call him back. Sorry, I wait, wait, hanging up on me now. I was I, doing so good. You know what? I think uh, Barry Williams is tapping my phone, so pro- probably it was he, him. We're just uh, going to blame what, him. What did I tell you? He has it out for me. <laughs> That's right. Actually, the, the, the truth of the matter is I, I don't know if he does or not, but I, I definitely just get kind of a cold vibe from that side of the world wow. but you know he might be that way with everybody and i just don't know but uh yeah. you know I, I i i get a sense that there is a uh, there's a feeling of me being an interloper uh-huh. and the fact that i'm not the most reverent guy in the world <laughs> you know that that's bound to fill you know that's bound to fill somebody who you know, this is their this is their career primarily. Mm-hmm. I can see why I'd be like, why don't we why don't we have the the idiot joke guy not involved this time? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it seems like uh, you know maybe he believes the myth a little bit. I don't know. But uh, are there other uh, cast members that you still get along with that you still end up bumping into? I mean, I haven't talked to Susan in a few years, but I mean, largely when we you know. And like I said, the older ones, we never really had much of a relationship to begin with uh-huh. because, uh, uh, you know, they were just older than me by a good yeah. 10 or 12 years. So, yeah. I mean, I was closest to Susan. So, but, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Mike, Mike is super cool. You know, I, they, I largely, I, you know, I get along with everybody, whatever. I just, you know, it's like we were on a TV show together. Awesome. Right. Good yep. for us. Yep. Yeah, and it's so rare. It is a rare-as-hell thing to actually be on a series, even if it only runs for one season or a couple of episodes or even just a pilot. It's it's just unheard of. It's like picking up a lottery ticket off the ground. Well, everybody wants that job, yep. and why not? Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, but after doing it for, you know, however many years I've been doing it, I can say this in all honesty. If you want to be an actor, aim for rich and not famous. <laughs> 
that's a that's great advice. That is perfect advice. In fact, yeah. I, I'm going to take that uh, advice to heart uh, in my career. So, yeah. let me yeah. ask you this: Indeed. I mean, do it though. Yeah, I mean, were your uh, were your folks typical stage parents, or did they kind of let you uh, do what you wanted to do? No, uh, um, I will. I mean, I complained into doing it. So when I and I was a very <laughs> persuasive young man, um, so I conned them into taking me on an audition, and I was like five or something, six, right? Wow. And uh, and uh, it started around four. Mm-hmm. It started around four with me going, uh, I want to be in a monster movie. It was originally that I was into those universal, uh, you know, Boris Karloff things. Oh, yeah. And so I was like, I want to be in a monster movie. I want to be in a monster movie. And my parents were like, whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and then it became, I want to be in a movie. I want to be in a movie. I want to be in a movie. They're like, yeah, he's starting to become annoying. <laughs> so they, they took me on an audition. It was a big old cattle call with like, you know, 200 kids. They were thinking, he's going to see how awful this is. And he's not going to want to do it. And so I got the job and, and then once I was done with the job, I said, I'd like to do that again. And my parents went, it's beginner's luck. There's just no way. And so they took me on another cattle call, got that one. And then like, then they're like, it was starting to realize that, you know, my dad who really as a, you know, he's an engineer, he's a scientist, you know, he really wanted a, he wanted a doctorate out of me of some kind, you Mm. know? And, uh, and, and then he realized probably at that moment that that particular doctorate that he had in mind was just not going to happen. <laughs> so I was, I was six auditions deep before I finally didn't get one. Mm-hmm. And all that really made me do is go, <laughs> what do you mean we don't get everyone? <laughs> right. Did they and go, then, and, when you didn't get it, did they go, see, see what we told you that you're not going to get one. It's yeah, just yeah. because. Yes. And, and imagine like a little seven-year-old bowl haircut me yeah. looking up at my very tall parents going, yeah, I know I missed one. Believe me, this is not <laughs> happening again. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of the things, I mean, just you telling that story and, and it strikes me that you seemed wise beyond your years as an actor. You seem to know more than you actually did, or you seem to know more than the age that you represented, which was kind of, I think played into why your characters, uh, your various characters were all so believable and interesting because you had that. Well, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a spark. It's something that you can't define. It's like a, an internal. The fact wisdom. that I looked like, the fact that I looked like an Aryan child probably didn't hurt either. Right, sure, sure. You uh, know, the fact that the fact that basically take off the glasses and it's village of the damn. So Oh you know, my god, it's too I funny. don't know. Maybe <laughs> they were terrified of me. That's what it was. All right, we'll continue our conversation with Robbie Rist here in just a second. But first Let's talk about Butcher Box. As part of my fitness program, I eat 220 grams of protein every day. That's a lot. So I'm super picky about my meat products. Thanks to Butcher Box, I don't have to worry about getting quality meats anymore. In fact, every month I receive a selection of the very best meat without leaving my house. All of Butcher Box's meat is free of antibiotics and added hormones. We're talking up to 11 pounds of meat, enough for 24 meals. I'm also able to customize my Butcher Box so I get exactly the meats that I want. This month I received the following. Two 10-ounce strip steaks, two one-pound portions of ground beef, two boneless pork chops, Butcher Box's delicious apple smoked bacon, one 
two and a quarter pound bottom round roast and two organic chicken breasts. I'm already getting the meat sweats just thinking about it. And right now, ButcherBox is offering new members ground beef for life. That's two pounds of ground beef in every box for the life of your subscription, plus $20 off your first box. Just go to butcherbox.com slash sexy liberal or enter sexy liberal at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash sexy liberal or enter promo code sexy liberal at checkout. Thank you for supporting this show by supporting ButcherBox. Bob Seska, the Bob Seska Show. So, I mean, did you end up in the usual, were there the usual child actor things like financial issues with your folks or anything like that going on uh, behind the scenes? <laughs> okay, because my parents <laughs> hate to this day, uh, my, my parents never liked the fact that I was an artist. Yeah. Uh, uh, so... I, I, when I was, when I was doing it with my parents, you know, my mom was driving me around and stuff. Her rule was you start acting up. Oh, and by the way, my parents are both small town German immigrants. Wow. And, uh, so when, uh, my mom said, all right, we are going to let you do this little project you want to do. However, if you misbehave in any way, we will take you out. You will never do this again. We will murder you. And we will make another one who looks just like you. <laughs> that is amazing. Holy crap. So you are literally a little Aryan kid. So is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, there's a, you know, kind of, yeah, I'm German. What can I tell you? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I don't like, you know, my parents, Germans, Germans, uh, you know, when, when in America we say, uh, give them an inch and they'll take a mile. Mm -hmm. In Germany, they say, offer your hand, they'll take your arm. It's just how <laughs> there's a there's a there's a, a thought process at work that's very uniquely German. Yeah. And part of that is we will kill you and make another one that looks just like you, and we won't miss you at all. That's you know, so. Great. so uh, that's a, yeah. and see that to me. It, I mean, and and that's intentionally funny. Like she was really like your mom was really trying to just kind of rib you a little bit. She wasn't really just like, all right, that's it. We're gonna leave you. We're gonna drive you up to the country. Leave you Robert, on the side Rob, of the road. Robert, Robert she was serious. <laughs> wow! Holy shit! Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's about. She comes up to my. See, I'm five six. Uh. She comes up to my chin, and she scares the living crap out of everyone in the block. So it's, yeah, no, no, she wasn't screwing around at all. Well, do you, do you still She's call like, it? I literally will kill you. It's fine. I'm like, I don't know. So anyway, I didn't fall into a lot of those tropes. I, you know, I say all the time when a, when a kid actor goes bad, mm -hmm. uh, it's usually because of bad parenting. Right. It just it like, you know, and a lot of, and think about it in a lot of cases, especially in the seventies, I mean, now there's all of this information out there. You can just go to on YouTube and go tutorial, putting my kid in show business, but there used to be no template for it. So what you tended to have were these parents who had no idea what entertainment was about. They didn't, they didn't understand the game. They didn't understand the business. And then their son or daughter takes off in this thing mm -hmm. and they're completely caught off guard by everything. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the entertainment business is it attracts because of the rewards, it attracts every kind of everybody. Mm -hmm. So there are genuinely sweet, talented, brilliant, incredible people out there who want to be in, in entertainment because they just want to, you know, they want to do something good. They want to make 
they, they saw that movie when they were a kid and they're like, that's my dream, you know? So there's that. (laughs) And then, and then there's, you know, child molesters that you got to keep your eye out for. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of, there's a lot of scam artists who are just waiting for the next kid actor to come along that they can take advantage of. And especially kid actors with immigrant parents who maybe don't know the ins and outs of Hollywood. Right. Right. Exactly. So they're, they're trying, but my, and my mom had a, she had a really bad reputation because no bullshit, none. She was not, I hope I can swear. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's podcast. Um, but, but uh, uh, you know, she, she was like, okay, this, uh, a story I tell a lot is um, I was doing a Fabergé perfume commercial. It was a Christmas commercial. And back in the day, before, you know, you could do everything on computer, you know, you, you had to send film to the lab. And if you're going to do the editing. So anyway, they had to do commercials like six to eight months out of when they're going to release them. So we're doing a Christmas commercial in June in this beautiful house in Beverly Hills that they've made to look like the most opulent Christmas you've ever seen. <laughs> and they, uh, uh, among the people in the commercial is Joe Namath. Okay. So Joe Namath is in the spot. There's me, the family around the tree. He's doing the whatever. And they're about to shoot the scene. And the director goes, all right, well, let's uh, light the fireplace. And the effects guy had left the gas on. Oh no. So, when, when they went to light the fire, this huge ball of flame shoots out of the, out of the fireplace. And like, there's a gas ball. Like you've seen it in movies where the ceiling looks like it's on fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that happens. And Joe Namath jumps on top of me to cover me from the flame. Oh right? my God. Okay. So all of this passes and, uh, all of this passes and there's a moment where everybody's like, Whoa. you know, you can feel a pin drop. Cause there's, there's that second after it all happened where everyone's like, okay, I'm alive. Should I start looking for other people? And then, uh, and, and so all of a sudden in that quiet, my mom, five foot, all five foot three of her, uh, she looks like a human piece of beef jerky. She's a very tiny, skinny woman. And she walks into the middle of the set where I am. And she holds out her hand and says, come on, kiddo, we're going home. And the producers of the spot, the director of the spot, the clients from Fabergé, all of them jump up and surround us in a circle. And they're like yelling words at her like breach of contract and lawsuit and all this shit. And my mom just looks around the circle. She goes, you almost killed my kid. I'll see you in court. And we, we finish the scene the next day. So... That's my great. Mom, yeah. Oh, my mom's total badass. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah. But um, not all parents, you know, that's how the Twilight Zone accident happened. <laughs> because those parents didn't know how the business worked. Yeah. And they didn't realize that it was actually abnormal for their children to still be there eight hours past when they were legally supposed to. What was the Twilight Zone thing? I'm not familiar with that. Uh, Okay. Oh. Uh, okay. So in the Twilight Zone movie, the one that was from the early eighties, like oh yeah, 70s yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So Vic Morrow um, was in the Vietnam scene. He plays a mm. he plays a racist who exits out the bar, and all of a sudden he's you know he's he, he all of a sudden he's a, a a Jew going to a camp, 
and then he's blown over to Vietnam where he's a refugee. And mm-hmm. I go, okay, so there's a scene where he's supposed to carry these two eight-year-old kids under his arms through a swamp while there's war going on around him. And one of those things is a helicopter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Landis is going, bring it, we need it lower, we need it lower, we need it lower. Well, there were little gas explosions in the swamp, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, when those explosions went off, the helicopter was too low, and the uh, hot air messed with the props, and the helicopter just tilted forward and decapitated oh, all three actors. Yeah, now I remember that. Yeah, holy yeah. shit. God damn, yeah, I, I completely forgot about that one. Yeah, and that's, that's you know, I can't, I can't blame the parents because I guarantee you that might have been the first time they were ever on a set. Oh, my God. What an incredible story. Yeah. I kept expecting you to say that Joe Namath stood up after tackling you to the ground and his eyebrows were singed off. Like, I'm just imagining Joe Namath with his eyebrows gone. He actually he actually spiked me. Okay, we'll get back to our interview with Robbie Rist here in just one second. But first, successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing two, ten, hundreds of millions in sales, NetSuite by Oracle gives a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. From work, from home, anytime, anywhere, NetSuite, the number one cloud business system. Right now, get your product tour and free guide, six ways to run a more profitable business, at netsuite.com slash voices. That's netsuite.com slash voices. It is shocking that your home can be stolen this easily. Let me share a true story. Deborah learned that brutal lesson when thieves found the title to her home online. Then they forged the documents to appear she sold her home, but she hadn't. Then they borrowed thousands using her home's equity. Deborah didn't know she was a victim until foreclosure notices arrived and an eviction notice followed. She spent a fortune trying to get her home back. The crime is home title fraud, and the FBI calls it one of the fastest growing crimes. The best advice for avoiding a title fraud nightmare is to protect your home with home title lock. And no, neither your homeowner's insurance nor bank protects you. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock does. So first things first, find out if you're already a victim of home title fraud. Register your home at HomeTitleLock.com and enter SAVE for one month of free protection. Again, enter SAVE for one month of free protection at HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. So, you know, frankly, um, the first uh, show I remember seeing you in wasn't the Brady Bunch. It was actually uh, Big John, Little John. And I watched that show every Saturday morning. Uh, You could transform into an adult man played by Herb Edelman. And no offense, no offense to Herb, but your adult self is way better looking than Herb, uh, at least in the middle 70s. Ah. I mean, am I imagining, and sometimes when I think back to some of those shows that, uh, well, now we can kind of refresh our memories with YouTube and so on, and some of the streaming services that have shows in syndication, but there are a lot of shows that are more difficult to find, and I find myself wondering whether or not I imagined an episode, and I swear to God, there was an episode where you, your character, Little John, was talking with Herb Edelman's voice dubbed over to your mouth movements. Was there an actual episode like that? Or did I imagine that? I believe there might've been, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen the big John little Johns in a, I mean, probably since the year they came out. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. I don't remember. I remember one where, uh, he tried to dilute the, uh, 
and he tried to dilute the amount of the stuff that was in him by drinking a ton of water. But I guess if that show was done today, there would just be a lot of peeing. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I don't remember. Just uh, out of curiosity, you were talking earlier about how your parents were like, ah, beginner's luck with landing the Brady Bunch, landing your first role. But you went on to do, in addition to Big John Little Job, it was a Saturday morning show. You went on to do appearances in some of the hugest shows of the 70s. I mean, Bionic Woman, Chips, The Mary Tyler Moore Show. You played Ted Baxter's son. I mean, did you ever find yourself struggling for roles, or were you kind of just plunked into whatever shows uh, uh, popped in? The, the, str- the struggle is now, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, um, I mean, just like anything else, you know, you go through hot periods and cold periods, mm-hmm. but... Um, um, you know, a, a musician friend of mine met Peter Gabriel once wow. and, uh, you know, the guy was 19 at the time. And he said, look, I, I, I got one chance to talk to you cause I'll probably never see you again. So <laughs> let me ask you this question. I want to have a career in entertainment. How do I do it? And Peter Gabriel went, look at it as a marathon and not a sprint. Yes. Cause you're not gonna, you're not going to run to fame Mm -hmm. and and once you're there you just gotta keep going yeah and i think the 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 the, if i if there is a secret you know i i I produce bands also it's another one of my jobs oh yeah yeah and when when i work with young bands i frequently tell them if you guys want something to happen there is one very simple thing you can do to make sure that whatever it is something will happen and that something is don't break up Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's the Don't one. Break up. If you if you if you hate each other, and and you're getting results, well, stay in, buddy, because getting to that point is really really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the thing is, I think you know, if there is a secret for me, it's just that I, you know, I'm so damn stubborn <laughs> that I just won't quit. No matter how much entertainment, every once in a while, no matter how many times in my life, entertainment's been going. Really, we don't want you back. Yeah, and I'm like, well, I think you kind of do. <laughs> See, now that's the best attitude to take. In fact, that's the that's the approach I take. And I'm not a huge fan of golf by any stretch of the imagination. But in golf, there's a term for someone who just who plugs away. They may not get a hole in one. They may not win every match, but they push forward. And it's called a, being a grinder. You're a grinder if you do that. And I uh, heard I heard a great interview. I heard a great interview with Michael Douglas where he said that very thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said. Uh, like uh, I think it was Mark Marin said, you know, like man, you know, Kirk Douglas' dad, you must have just walked right into it. And he goes, "Have you ever seen the first job I was in?" No, I didn't. <laughs> he goes, "I, I, I, I," I'm, he said, "I'm a grinder. I just keep, you know, yep. I just keep grinding at it until I get there." Yep. And I, I was like, "Oh shit, me too." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just one yeah, of the best things. That, I'm, that's I'm... really what it is. Because when I wasn't getting on camera stuff, I went, oh, "Fuck it, voiceover." And then when that wasn't happening, I went, well, it looks like I'm going to teach for a while. And then I did people's voiceover demos. And then I got Doc McStuffin. So, like, for five years, I didn't need to have a job necessarily. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to – going back to uh, your city where you were a music manager, is that – is music your real passion? Do you find that that's the thing that drives you the most, even more than acting? Or is it sort of an even sort of an even balanced between all of these things that you are clearly very talented at? I just like making art. Yeah. So what, whatever it is, 
if I, you know, if I'm going to act, I produced a horror movie in 2006 mm-hmm. uh, called Stump the Band. Uh, you can find it online if you want to. Yeah, I love, I love the reference. Uh, That's a Johnny Carson reference. I love that. Yes, and, and it's about a, a, a female rock band who gets attacked by three guys who collect women's feet. Oh, my God. So you have a deranged sick side, Robbie Rist, right? Oh my gosh! What are you kidding me? That's the, that's what gets me through every day. <laughs> so, do you consider yourself a, a multi instrumentalist, or um, are, do you find yeah, that well, you're? I look at myself not as a musician or an actor or a writer or whatever. I look at myself as an entertainment guy. Yeah, like you know, if you if you want to make right now, I'm I'm working on a. Uh, uh, there's this dude who draws for a comic book company called American Mythology. They do mm. things like uh, they, they have deal. They have a deal with uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, so they're doing like all of his books in comic book fashion. And so uh, with this guy, his name's Mike Wolfer. Uh, he's a award-winning uh, comic book uh, drawer guy, and so he and I are working on a comic book. Wow! Yeah, because because it's just I haven't done it yet. I ha- and it's cheaper than making a movie, and uh, it's just another art project. So all of these things that I do, I just look at them as art projects. Is that just naturally how you are? Because I wonder if that's also being a product of the 1970s, where there were still variety shows on television, where um, actors and uh, comedians and so on, regardless of where they were stuck in terms of uh, a role they were playing or a genre, they were kind of actors at the time were trained to do a variety of things, to sing, to dance, to do comedy, to do drama. It was kind of a well-rounded series of vocations that they could do all circulating under the uh, umbrella of being, you know, an entertainer. Uh, Do you find yourself kind of relating more to that or is it just, this is just something that drives you. You just love making art and putting it out there to see what people think. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't know, a little bit of both, I guess. Hmm. I mean, we are, you know, ev- everything in the world is uh, everything human is nature and nurture. Yeah. So, uh, that, I mean, I mean, I'm sure growing up at the time that I did, you know, I, my generation, mm-hmm. you know, we're in our fifties or whatever. Yeah. My, I think my generation caught the tail end of everything being good. Mm-hmm. Yep. We caught, the, we caught the tail end of everything before everything was taken over by a corporation. So like independent, like, uh, you know, uh, TV networks. Yes, they were, they were owned by companies, but the companies were kind of still independently owned. Now ABC is owned by Disney, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, uh, so everybody now, you know, the, the whole world's just a corporatized ghetto. Yeah. And you know, where I live in the San Fernando Valley, uh, um, uh, growing up, there were things that kids could do that didn't cost money. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that world is over. So I think when it was a lot more innocent time, it's like the Brady Bunch, you know, the Brady Bunch was made not thinking that they were being ridiculous. Right. And it- and, and and there was no one around them to tell them that they were being ridiculous. <laughs> It, yeah. And now we look at it through that filter and we're like, God, how it's like, you know, watching Leave it to Beaver. And everyone's like, 
God, I can't believe anybody ever watched this as entertainment. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't that sense. There was, um, you know, maybe like uh, the 1966, 67, uh, 68 Batman series had that level of irony and self-awareness. But, you know, the Brady Bunch was pure and completely earnest. That's one of the things that I think stands out most about it. It's its own self-contained, very pure environment. I'm not just talking in terms of the actual content of the scripts themselves, but in terms of everyone seemingly to believe in that universe, which was, uh, and it still is, impressive to look back at that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it was uh, yeah, so much. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I have a friend who's a died in the wool New Yorker. And every time I go there, I mean, this is going on for like 10 or 15 years. Every time I'd go there, I'd be like, you really got to just drive me around in your van and just tell me stories about New York. So on the last trip that I took with him, uh, we're going through Manhattan and he drives, the whole trip was called, yeah, but that's all gone now. And everywhere we went, he'd be like, he got, that's where CBGB used to be. It's clothing store. And that's all gone now. Yeah. And then he'd be like, this is Christopher street. Just be on like leather bars. And it was really colorful. And, uh, you know, that's all gone now. That's all gone so now, yeah. everything is gone now. Yeah. Now yeah. The, the new, what we're trying to find now, I think in the world that we live in, uh, is the new way. Everything is kind of the wild west at this point. It's why no one's making any money because of Pandora and crap like that. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, a, like the internet turns out to be this huge sociology experiment in which we don't know what we want out of the experiment, but it's happening. Yeah. And we're, we're seeing where it's going every day. Yeah. It's, it's evolving quickly too. And it's, it's funny you mentioned Pandora and the fact that you're a music manager as well, because I've started on my purely political podcast. I mean, my Tuesday, Thursday podcast is 100% politics. But one of the things I'm doing is I'm incorporating indie music into the show as sort of bumper music and things like that. Then I compile everything into like a countdown show at the end of the month where I play the full length songs and make sure to promote everybody. That's a great idea. If you have any bands that you manage that want to get onto a podcast, I mean, for what it's worth... Mostly what I do is mostly what I am as a producer. I'm, I, uh, my, my management is usually relegated. I mean, I, I consult, I have a consulting company. So like, you know, for whatever, hundred bucks an hour, call me up and I will help you put together a strategy for how to do, how to do entertainment where you are. Yeah. So I, that's about as managery as I get. Mostly I'm again, I'm in the, I'm in, I'm into the creative you know, I love the creative process mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and as a producer, you know, I love the creative process. On top of that, I get to yell at people. <laughs> yeah. That's something, uh, that, uh, that has to come back in style. I, I think there's a millennial, millennial attitude that we don't you know? yell at people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a, <laughs> But let me ask you this um, before we wrap up here. Um, what's the one thing that you want to be remembered for uh, besides uh, Cousin Oliver? Doing good work that at least at least when he was in something crappy, he wasn't completely crappy while he was doing it. <laughs> That's a great that is a great answer. And you know what? Again, that circles right on back to those six episodes of The Brady Bunch. Regardless of the myths 
and the weird uh, rumors that go around now surrounding that show, especially the final season of that show and your participation in it, the fact is is that you improved the show, regardless of what people were saying and what people do say about season five. You made those episodes better strictly by your ability to perform. I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that's an arguable point. Um, <laughs> Take the compliment, Robbie Wrist. Uh, you know, but actually, here's here's what I will say. Yeah. If if we're if it's if it's about any kind of branding, let me just say this: if you're out there, and you if you look at my history, and and you're you're an art maker yourself. Let's say you're a filmmaker, or you you want me to play on your thing, or or you know play music on your thing, or whatever it is. Just understand this between. The Brady Bunch, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Doc McStuffins, Iron Eagle to a lesser extent, Kids Video to a lesser extent. But all of these things, if you'll notice, if you put me in your thing, it stands an infinitesimally better chance of becoming iconic. Yeah, yeah. And that makes perfect sense. All you got to do is put me in it and you have to pay me. Yeah. (laughs) There you go, and you've uh, you've completely improved this podcast, one hundred percent. There you go. Uh, You're going to be so goddamn famous now, Bob. You have no idea. I know. I'm riding the Robbie wrist rocket. It was like the Robbie wrist bump. That's what I'm getting right now. That's right. That's right. The wrist bump. All right, my friend. It was such a pleasure talking to you. It's a pleasure to know you on uh, on Facebook and social media, and uh, you're quite an ins- inspiration. And for so many reasons, uh, on top of the fact that you're not just like a glory dazer uh, looking back at uh, 1974 and they, oh my God, 197. Why can't it be 1974 again? And you're plowing yeah, uh, forward. And that's, yeah, yeah. It really inspirational. Take it easy, my friend. We'll see you on Facebook. You too, sir. Bye-bye. All right, bye bye. Oh, hi. One last thing before we go. I'm sure you've seen or heard about Plexiderm, probably on this show, probably on the Stephanie Miller show. Plexiderm is backed by clinical studies to visibly eliminate your wrinkles, crow's feet, and other telltale signs of aging in just a matter of minutes. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody's going to know that you're using it. It's just your secret, right? What hooked me on Plexiderm was the 10-minute challenge. I took the test, and trust me, I had my doubts but it lasted for hours and the results were incredible. You know it's working when you hear your friends and coworkers say, man, what did you do differently today? The difference is Plexiderm. So give yourself the Plexiderm confidence boost. Looking your best can help make you more confident at work or for social events this spring after the social distancing is over, of course. Go to triplexiderm.com and see the before and after photos for yourself and use my code VOICES for 50% off plus an extra $10 off. And yes, they're still shipping. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit triplexiderm.com today. Use the code VOICES at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com. You'll be glad you did.